Chris Moraz, and welcome to the Oklahoma Business Show, where we speak with business owners and leaders about their struggles, successes, and things they've learned along the way. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Oklahoma Business Show. Uh, delighted to have with us today Kirsten Land. Uh, now, Kirsten is a recovering education professional. Uh, and current owner and CEO of Land Enterprises Roofing, Oklahoma-based residential roofing company. So, Kirsten, I'm going to let you kind of give a better bio about yourself than what what I could. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, yeah, so I, as you said, I own Land Enterprises Roofing. We are a residential roofing company and the service is really what I used to say, the 405, but now that we're getting some new um, okay. area codes, I'm going to have to ex- figure out a different way to explain that. But, you know, a Norman, Blanchard, Stillwater, um, Shawnee, so we do the whole area. We serve homeowners as well as insurance agents and their clients and realtors and their clients. Okay, awesome. Um, now school teacher to roofing company CEO, that's not a normal, uh, career path that people take. Can you share a little bit about kind of how you got to where you are? Yeah, I know as a little girl, I did not wake up and dream about the day I would run a roofing company. (laughs) So it's funny where life leads you for sure. I did dream about being a teacher and I was a teacher for 12 years. I taught five years in Oklahoma City schools and another seven years for Edmond Public Schools. Absolutely loved it. I was a special education teacher. I taught kids with learning differences. Um, I got married in 1998 to Brian Land, um, and he was a roofer. He started when he was in high school, and then when he was in college, he started what became Land Enterprises Roofing. And uh, so that's how I got started into roofing was through Brian. Um, After I became a mom, I stopped teaching, and then I started working with him in the business. And we always kind of laugh because somehow he, I was supposed to be a stay-at-home mom, but somehow he got me to working a couple of days a week. But I loved it. We were really a great partnership. And so I started off working in the business, just helping him with probably basic clerical things, um, office stuff. And then I ended up becoming the um, sales manager. And I thought, well, how can I do that? I not really don't have a background in sales, but I think being a teacher helped me in that position because I was able to, um, you know, understand sort of the psychology behind um, sales and then um, be able to help my team move forward and having better conversations with our clients, making them feel comfortable and just having setting systems and processes in the end. Um, setting those things up so that way it would give my the people going out inspecting our roofs selling the roofs just a process to follow something that was repeatable and easy and I learned that from being a special education teacher because you have paperwork you have to fill out you have IEP meetings you have to hold and just being a classroom teacher the things that I have to do to help each individual student succeed that really helped me in this role because each of my sales uh, team was different. So I had to find different ways to help them be successful with their unique gifts and talents. I never would have thought that there'd be that preparation um, as an educator that would transfer to sales. If you hadn't been in special education where you had to very much define those processes and to be intentional about how you communicated with students and their parents, if you'd been a math teacher, 
Do you think maybe that would have transferred as well? Do you think that because of the field you were in made a big difference? I think that would have translated as well. I think teachers just have to learn no matter what field or what subject that they're teaching. I think they have to learn how to reach kids of all different abilities. And But for me, being in special education, you know, that was my specialty was to try to help each kid with that. And so I think it, it made it a little easier transition. But it took me some time to figure that out that, hey, I can use the skill that I have in this area, because there's this a little bit of imposter syndrome, like, oh, you know, I'm not a, I'm a teacher. I'm not a sales manager. Um, But once I realized how I could make, I could really lend my talent to that, then um, it was, became easier. And I started to realize, oh, I can do this as well. So I can be, you know, I'm a teacher, but I can bring those talents into being a sales manager. Okay. So your sales manager and then your transition your transition to CEO. Yes. So uh, that was unfortunate. That was a very sad situation. Unfortunately, my husband passed away in 2019 after a open heart surgery. He had had um, a surgery in November of 2018, and things didn't go well. They had to open him again a few days later. He was recovering, doing well, and then in February we found out he February of 2019. So several months later, um, he discovered that he had a finger was turning blue thought that was very strange. And then by the end of that week that the finger started turning blue, he got very, very sick with like flu-like symptoms. So anyway, long story short, he had to have two more open heart surgeries and he unfortunately passed away in the fourth surgery. He made it to the end, but he just, he was, his heart was too weak and too, it was bleeding too much. So it was sad. And so I had to make a decision. Do I keep it? Do I not? And it was really because of my children. They said, mom, please keep the business that I did. I didn't put much thought into it. If I had, it may have been a very different discussion or we wouldn't be talking today at all. Maybe, (laughs) maybe I would have sold the company, but I kept it and it's turned out to be a really good decision, but it wasn't an easy road at all. I can't imagine. I know you share that story a lot and I, Appreciate you sharing that. I know that's not easy to, to, to reshare. Um, you, when you're there trying to make that decision on keep the business, sell the business, um, major decision that's going to change the trajectory of, of what you do going forward. Um, how did you, or who did you turn to for advice to work through that? Um, kind of what was that decision process like if you're comfortable sharing? Absolutely. So I've been um, a client of Sandler Training of Oklahoma for many, many years. And Mike Crandall's been my trainer. Um, and he spent a lot of time helping my team the whole time that Brian was dealing with his heart situation and then continued to work with me afterwards. And also his other team uh, member, David Curran. And the two of them really helped me um, figure out if I wanted to do this or not. And I remember having several conversations with Mike where he'd say, do you want to do this business? And one time would be, yes, I do. Or yes, I think I can. And then it's, I don't know if I do. And so I finally had to really make that decision. I'm going in or I'm going out because it's not fair to my team or to my customers. Um, But there was a lot to it because again, as I referenced earlier, you know, the imposter syndrome, you think, well, who am I to run a roofing company? I was a teacher. I was the sales manager. I don't climb roofs. What, how am I going to do this? And of course, nobody does anything great without help from other people. So Mike helped me walk through that decision, but I had a really great team behind me to support me. Um, um, and that made the decision much easier. But there were a lot of hurdles I had to um, jump over to get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lo- so I love that you said battling a little bit with that imposter syndrome. I think we've heard that come up from a number of guests. 
And I know a lot of business owners, very few businesses go 100% according to plan. And I know there's a lot of times where someone says, that's a good idea, or we can pivot to this. It seems great, but I'm not an expert in that. And I think that regularly, that's something that business owners struggle with. Anything, any tips or anything specific that kind of helps you overcome that? Or was it just, we're going to get through this and I'm going to learn as I go? I know for me, I've never been able to find something that's like, no, Chris, you're an expert. You're good. You got this. There's not, there's always something where I don't feel completely confident on. So if you have any advice, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I think that sometimes you just have to make the decision and do it. And I realized I didn't have the experience Brian did. He was very well respected for his knowledge of roofing. I had some knowledge because I've been working beside him for so many years, but I just had to say, you know what, I can do this and I'm going to go forward. And I had people that were willing to do that. And, uh, you know, lots of mistakes were made, but lots of lessons were learned. And I think sometimes you just have to make the decision, go for it. And one big lesson I had to learn is that it is okay to fail. I don't like it. I don't know anybody who does like to fail. You feel bad about yourself. But I realized through my failures, that's where I learned the most. And so being humble enough to admit, hey, I messed up or I got this wrong. And then also being humble enough to listen to other people and what they have to say. I had employees come to me many times saying, I think this needs to change. And one of the toughest things that I had to change early on was uh, Brian always hand nailed shingles on. And he looked at that as a craft. He felt like that was best practice. Um, My roofers, though, didn't want a hand nail anymore. It takes longer. They could make more money using a nail gun. So I had to do some research into it. I had to listen and be open to it. And I eventually made the decision to go ahead and give the green light for um, using a a nail gun. But I had made the you know, I asked them to please do six nails instead of four. And that would give us my customers a higher wind rating and on their shingle, but it for a wind warranty, but it would also give me the peace of mind knowing that these shingles aren't going to blow off because forever and ever, Brian, had talked about why the hand nailing was so important is because you can feel how far that nail is going in with a nail gun. You can't. And so people tend to over, you know, they don't, they nail too hard, too soft, they nail too high. And that's why you have blown off shingles. So for me, that was a really very important thing because our credibility was at stake, but it turned out to be a very good decision and it kept my roofers happy. And we've, they do the six nails, no problem. We have not had any blow off. So sometimes you just have to be willing to listen, even though my gut was telling me, oh, I don't want to do this. This was important to Brian, but I realized I had to do, make the best decision that I can. Yeah. And that's important. I mean, obviously whether, whatever industry, whether it's a technology change or a process change, um, you know, materials change and being able to adapt to that, even if your own spin on it and say, well, we know this can improve a lot of things, but if it's not done correctly, it's going to tarnish our reputation. I love the fact that you've found that way to adopt something industry was moving towards your contractors and your roofers wanted. Um, I love that. Few people would, would, they would say that, no, we're going to stick to the old way or we're going to go all into this new method, but not find the way to do it. That's still up to their standards. Yes. I love that. Thank you. uh, you'd mentioned kind of going back to your kids that wanted to keep the business that stood out to me when you said that, um, obviously massive, I imagine 
consideration as you were looking how to do this, but was it, why did they want you to keep the business? I'm, I'm just curious on that. You know, it was, unfortunately it was something said, well, not that in a very tough moment and it was, they had found out their father had passed away and they didn't know that that was even a possibility. You know, he had other surgeries. And so I think they were blown away by that. And it was a comment I made about, you know, I can, I can sell the business if I need to, you know, your dad took great care of us, but I can sell the business and I can be available for you even more. And they said, no, keep it. And I think probably the reason why they said that is because the business was so important, so ingrained in there. It was their father was all over that business. And so, and I think for me too, I wanted to keep it because it's just, if I also gave away the company or I sold the company or closed it down, um, it'd be like giving away a piece of Brian. And that also led into the struggle of, should I be running the company? I had a lot of challenges and I thought, is this just my pride because I don't want to give up something else connected to Brian or should, am I really meant to run the business? And so I think that's what my children were wanting. And I really wasn't wanting to give it up either because of that connection to Brian. But, you know, sometimes a decision, even though it feels bad, doesn't mean that it's a bad, you know, bad decision. Sometimes we can let our emotions play too heavily into our decision making. And so that's where I had to really weigh that just, it would be painful to give it up. But if that's what was best for the company, then that's what I need to do. Um, but unfortunately I didn't have to do that. I found a way to run it successfully. Yeah. So I've known you for a number of years. I love the way that you still honor uh, and have the legacy for Brian. Um, but I also know that it's your company now and it's your vision and it's your team. So over the last several years, as you've embraced that, um, you know, kind of what challenges or maybe one of the biggest challenges that you've faced as you've developed your team and implemented your vision, yeah, what are some of those challenges that you've had to overcome during that process? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges, I'm not, a, I do not like conflict and when you deal with people, there's always going to be some level of conflict. And I had to learn how to deal with that. And I'm still learning. Um, but I was really bad in the beginning. I would just sort of tiptoe around people. I would be a people pleaser and just tell my staff whatever I thought they wanted to hear. And that was uh, just disastrous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so in the beginning, my team really tried to have my back and business as usual. But as we moved forward without Brian, there was a huge hailstorm very, very early on. And so we all just tried to take care of people the best way that we could. But some people decided to do things differently than the way I wanted it done. And I didn't think I was asking for anything that Brian didn't ask for, you know, that he was requiring, but it just didn't go well for whatever reason. And everyone on my team was grieving. It wasn't just me. So it was difficult, but I had to make some big decisions about a year into owning the business. And that is I had to bless and release two employees that just were not fitting the culture anymore. And Mike Crandall of Sandler Training had told me, you know, just because someone is a good fit once doesn't mean they're always a good fit. Uh, yeah. And so what I had to learn from that is to bless and release a little bit quicker than what I did. I kept trying to make it work and with my people pleasing and just trying to give in to everybody's whims, it was just making things worse. And I wasn't being the leader that I could be. Now, granted, I was also grieving. Losing your husband or your spouse or your partner is incredibly painful. And 
that I was trying to raise my kids, run the business and grieve the loss of someone I thought I was spending the rest of my life with. So I was definitely not the best version of myself, but I was pretty good. I mean, I wasn't a mom. I didn't become a monster, but <laughs> I, but I'm sure no one was, they, even though they knew I was heavily involved in the company, I'm sure it was just different having me instead of the, you know, Brian, who everybody knew was the founder and he was the one you'd go to for answers. Yeah. So you're dealing with team transition. So bless and release. Define that for us because I love that phrase. <laughs> I think it's just recognizing that someone who's not a good fit for you anymore, you care enough about them to say, it's okay to go. I wish you luck in whatever endeavor you choose. And the two that left at that point, one started his own roofing company, the other one um, went and worked for a competitor. And while you don't want to create more competitors, <laughs> you have to realize that they need to do what's best for them. And I was terrified because I thought, how can I do this without these two guys? They were fantastic. Um, but I realized that I could find additional people, other people that would work out great. And it actually was working better for this phase of the business because the, the new people that I replaced with them followed my system and did things the way that I wanted it done versus people who want to do it their way. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think sometimes it's okay to realize, Hey, it's just not working anymore. I appreciate you, what you've done in the past, but it's just not working now. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> wrong seat, wrong bus. You got to go. Yeah. Plenty of roofs in Oklahoma. Oh yes. Yeah. Plenty. Of, there's, and that's the thing, even though I created two competitors, there's plenty of work for everybody. You know, you just have to have that mentality and not worry about it. Cause we know there's a, every corner you turn, there's a different roofing company. <laughs> I try to make friends with all of them. now. <laughs> yeah. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So was there one moment as you're working through this that you remember as kind of a big inspirational moment you, you see maybe you see things starting to come together maybe you start to see the team the new team coalesce was there a moment that you kind of think back to fondly of hey we're starting to get it you know the most the probably the the best moment I had was right after the very very worst moment I thought I'd completely tanked my company three employees left in one week and this was after the first two I just referred to this was about a year later and I thought, what have I done? I have destroyed this company. Brian, and I put our blood, sweat and tears into it. And within two years, I've destroyed it. It was terrible. The next day I went into the office. I actually got there before everybody, which is very rare. Everyone's usually there before me. And I sat there and I just had this moment of clarity. And I realized, you know, you can make decisions. You can run this company. You are capable. And I just felt like the surge of I don't want to say power, but it almost, that's the word that comes to me right now. And I real, realized for that moment I could. And within two weeks of that moment, things started to turn around. Now, they weren't perfect at that point, not that it ever will be. But I started to see signs where I had hope again. Like I yeah. can have people that want to follow my system, that believe in me and truly have my back. And that was very exciting because my goal is to help people. I'm not out there praying for hail, wishing for destruction on people. I really just want, I just pray for people to help. And so my biggest desire is just to have a company that's not the biggest in Oklahoma, but that is, has the best customer service and really um, takes care of people. And the fact that we weren't doing that prior to that, we were actually causing frustration and stress on people was really hurtful. And that's when I really had to think about 
maybe I'm not capable of doing this. Maybe God didn't mean for me to do this. But I realized, no, those are just lies I'm telling myself. And so once I realized the truth and I saw it, that gave me power to move forward and also gave me permission that, you know what, you're probably going to make some more mistakes and that's okay, but we're going to learn. And so I started documenting the mistakes that I made so I could remember them and learn from them and not repeat them. I'm sure I will, but I'm trying not to. <laughs> well, I, I can promise you that there's a ton of business owners listening that are shaking their head with you saying, yep, been there at the lowest point. And then you see that hope and you grab it and run on. But you mentioned that you're writing down some of that stuff. Is that just a normal journal routine um, that I've been told I should do and I've never been able to get into the habit? Or is this something kind of maybe specific that you have developed just to help you remember those times? Well, it is a journal. I do. I keep actually several journals, one for each of my children. I write down sort of their childhood memories. I can't so do they, one. You've got several <laughs> going on. Okay. And then I have one for myself. Um, after Brian passed away, I met with a woman who'd been single for 10 years. And she kind of was giving me some advice on how to navigate being a a single parent, you know, with children. And one thing that she said, I thought was so valuable. She said, I have a journal and any decision I have to make, I write it down and it helps me make that decision. And I'm someone who has to talk out my decisions. So I found that actually writing it out was very, very helpful. And when I feel stress, it helps me to relieve it by writing it down on paper. That's just one thing I do. But yes, I would document, here's how I was feeling. Here's what I think I, you know, almost like a debrief with myself. Here's what I think I would do differently next time. I also like, because I do like systems and processes, I do like to um, document a lot. <laughs> um, things like, for instance, yesterday, our um, Wi-Fi went out, our phones went out. And I realized when I called in to talk to my team about it, I need to have instructions what to do the next time. And so I'm always trying to document when things go well or when they don't go well. So we have the best case scenario and the worst case scenario of how to handle things. So hopefully it reduces stress. And so I think it kind of just goes along with those lines. I'm just trying to document what happened and learn from it and improve, it. I guess, and, and really improve from it. Yeah, I love that. And I wrote down, I love the idea of... I don't know what I've always thought of journaling as is, you know, trying to do two full pages and, but I love the idea of just, Hey, I've got a tough decision. Just brain dump it, get it out there to help things through it. That's, I can relate to that. I, I, uh, I'm going to give that a shot and I will let you know okay, how it goes. Yeah. Um, Cause I can definitely see value in even just starting something simple like that. So yeah. I appreciate that. That's been very helpful to me. Okay. Business stuff. Um, roofing industry in Oklahoma, if anyone's listening not from Oklahoma, does not understand that it can be very feast or famine if a roofing, if a roofing company solely tries to rely on Oklahoma's crazy weather for repairs and stuff. So I'm curious, is that something that you had experienced or did you have a... Um, a maybe a better business model to level that out. Um, if because I don't know anything about roofing, so I'm just curious how that works. Yeah, so in Oklahoma, really, roofers, uh, you know, live and die based off of hailstorms, 
And when we have a hailstorm, it's just destructive to people's homes, to their cars. It's adds stress to everybody's life. And so it's something that we get used to helping people with, but it's something that I didn't want to rely on or be excited about. Oh, yeah, everyone's feeling stressed and all their things are destroyed. So my husband, my late husband and I, we had become parents to two little boys and I, he, he was the only, the business, excuse me, was the only source of income because I had stopped teaching at this point. So I got tired of having a lot of money, having no money. And I said, <laughs> we've got to do something here. And we we're pretty good at saving so we could kind of save our way through the famine times. Um, but what we started working on when we were in our Sandler training class is trying to think of some ideas. What can we do to keep working year round and become a year round roofing company? And so for us, that meant building relationships with realtors and insurance agents, as I mentioned at the beginning, that we help their customers. And so with an insurance agent, if a customer, they're one of their clients calls them and says, hey, I think my roof needs to be replaced instead of calling your insurance company you want to call a roofing company because we a roofing company you know like trust and value because we can come out and let you know yes i think you should file a claim no you shouldn't or hey it's kind of on the edge here's you know the things to take into consideration because once you call that insurance company that's a claim Wow. Whether that claim gets approved or not, it still goes against you. So you want to have someone come out and advise you on that. And so that's how we can help insurance agents and realtors, you know, when they're trying to sell a house, if there's a little repair, we can take care of it. Or if there's a total re-roof, we can take care of it, get it done so they can get to that closing table. So these were two things of relationships we started working on. So Brian started going networking. And he joined BNI, which is BNI um, Business Networking International. And he was the first roofer in Oklahoma to have a roofing spot. They had not, the person who owned the organization in Oklahoma prior to that had never thought about inviting roofers. And so he would really? go, yeah, he would go around to all the different BNI organizations here in Oklahoma City and, until they finally would say, hey, yeah, we got to join or thank you for coming. And so he picked one and he joined it. And then as we added employees, We'd put different employees in groups. Now it's very difficult to get into a BNI chapter. So if you're a roofer out there and you're in BNI, stay in your seat because <laughs> you're going to have a hard time getting another one. <laughs> uh, that's so crazy because I, you know, every BNI group does have one, and so to think that there was a, a time where, you know, that wasn't the case. Uh, I don't know why it's surprising, but it is. Yeah, it was quite a long time ago. I don't know when that was, but he did a lot of networking. It wasn't just there. And he was very good at developing relationships. And and also he uh, had great integrity. He also really understood roofing. He didn't just get into it because he enjoyed selling or he really loved the process, the system, you know, what goes on, you know, what do you need to put on that roof to be the most durable and what's the best practice and it's the best material. So we were always looking at new materials, learning about materials, and he really enjoyed that process. So I think people knew that they could trust him. I run into roofers who work for different companies all the time or people who own roofing companies and say, yeah, I knew Brian. He was awesome. He was really great because, you know, he, he knew what he was doing and he didn't mind sharing the information. Brian really wanted to elevate the profession of roofing, and I'm trying to continue that same um, thing as well. I love that. I love that you're carrying it on and advancing that even, um, and just standing up as a female business owner and saying, we're going to knock this out of the park. Uh, I, I know that the kind of the group that you 
work with a little bit and uh, it's such an inspiring group. Anyway. Thank you. Um, so your kids do a ton of activities. Yes. We've got to talk about your kids because they do, I think, literally everything that, it, that someone <laughs> could possibly do. Um, so going to give you a little little soapbox here. What are some, some recent proud mama moments? Mm. So I have two boys, uh, a 16-year-old named Daniel and a 14-year-old named Evan, and they go to the Academy of Classical Christian Studies in Oklahoma City. They're both really good students. They're great boys. Uh, they're really good to me, which I appreciate. My oldest son just turned 16, and he's now driving. Yes. And I was so scared because his high school is in Midtown, Oklahoma City, and I thought, what have I done? I'm allowing my my baby to drive to Oklahoma City on highways, real highways. But he is doing great. I'm so proud of him. Um, he's a really good student, and he's also an aspiring chef. So he makes he makes us delicious meals. Not every night, not as often as I want, but when he does, it's really good. Unfortunately, he's not very good at cleaning, so the kitchen. It's messy, so we're always working on that to keep it picked up afterward. But he's very talented and a really great kid. And then my younger son, Evan, is a very talented athlete. He plays basketball for his school, and um, he also plays baseball, which they started a baseball club this year, so I'm excited for that. But he's been playing baseball since he was three. He's a very talented pitcher. He's good at hitting. Third base is his main place that he plays, and um, he's on a travel team called the um, Performance Baseball. So he absolutely loves that. And then he also goes to individual hitting and pitching practice at Fuel, which is in Edmond. So he's really busy and keeps me running around after him. My son Daniel's going to start tennis this spring, which I'm excited about because he's really more of your electronic kid. He's sitting behind the computer. He built his own computer, that kind of Love thing. It. Yes. <laughs> So I'm excited that he wants to be more athletic. He's always played sports, but it just, you could tell it wasn't his thing. He did it more for the socialization. He loved hanging out with his friends. Once it got serious and you're doing like four or five lessons a week, he was out. Evan loves it. He does all the sessions. So we're doing baseball about five to six times a week. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, yeah. You have a lot going on. I'm curious, what do you do to relax and unwind? Do you have kind of a go-to? You get some Kirsten time and you're just going to pause. Yeah, I absolutely love to read. So I have several books that I'm reading. Um, so if I get a, I might take a hot bath and I'll read a book while I'm listening to music. I love that. Um, I'm also a typical middle-aged woman and I love me some true crime. <laughs> So I thought it was just a me thing, but evidently there's like a lot of people who love it. So I definitely get my um, dose of different podcasts and um, documentaries on Netflix and Dateline and things like that. So I enjoy that. But I am currently looking for a hobby. So I've narrowed it down to several of them, including photography. And so I'm trying to look and see what I want to do, because most of my life right now consists of my children. I love going to Evans baseball games games or basketball games or school events. I try to volunteer as much as I can. Um, but both of them are going to be in high school next year. And I know over time that responsibility is going to lessen much to my chagrin. But if I'm doing my job well, then of course, that's what needs to happen. They need to move on. So I'm trying to find some things that I can enjoy too. Yeah, I love it. Um, true crime, not something I've ever gotten into. Do you have a favorite kind of go-to that you would recommend if I were to want to start listening or watching something. Yeah. Um, well, my 
there's a lot of really great documentaries on Netflix. Um, one of my favorites is called the Cecil Hotel. I think that's the name of it, but it's about the Cecil Hotel in California. Um, so that's a really good one. And there's some really great podcasts up and vanished is the first one I started to listen to. And that's a great one. There's um, a lot of other ones. You just search true crime and tons of things pop up. But Dateline is always going to be my first true love. Is that, is, is that considered, I guess that's considered true crime. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. think they Dateline 48 hours probably got that whole thing started. There might be someone else, maybe missed the, what was the one, the mysteries, but um, anyway, I really, I enjoy it. I, I hope and pray I'll never be a subject <laughs> of Dateline. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or be interviewed on it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe have to have an, another, uh, another episode if that's the case. We can, we can break that one. That's right. Uh, okay. We're, I wish we were had more time, but we are almost to our end. Oh, um, it's been fun. I know that I love doing this. So we will, can we, can we have you back sometime? I would love it. Okay. Thank you. So we always ask, uh, what is the one piece of technology that you cannot live without? Wow. Um, hmm. I guess I probably couldn't live without my phone because I feel like I can do a lot of things. I can send an email. I can send a, uh, I can scan a document. I can keep my notes to my passwords. I hate passwords. <laughs> <laughs> check my email, check my text. <laughs> I love that you're using it to its full advantage. Yeah. yeah the fact that you are, that you know how to scan with your phone. That's impressive. Yeah. Surprisingly few people do. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I know something some yeah. other people don't. You're, you're killing it. I also can take tons of pictures for my photography career. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kirsten, I appreciate it. If there's someone listening that wants to get in touch with you, um, maybe learn more about Land Enterprise Roofing or maybe needs your services, how can they connect with you? Yeah, so we do have a website. It's uh, landroofingokc.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, you can call us at 405-359-3951. Um, if you look on our website, you can also find places that you can email us. So love to hear from you. If you have any questions, I do write a blog uh, to a month and lots of interesting topics or at least interesting to people interested in roofing, I guess. But I talk about solar and rain barrels and things like ventilation. So if you're interested, check that out. Perfect. This has been great. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. All right. Well, we'll see you all next time. The Oklahoma Business Show is proudly sponsored by Your IT, managed IT services and cybersecurity for Oklahoma businesses. Are you a business leader who's frustrated with your current technology, worried about cyber threats, and too damn busy to handle it yourself? Your IT makes IT easy. With clear and transparent pricing and the ability to customize services to fit your unique business needs. Visit yourit.com to learn more about our services and schedule a chat to find out how we can help you. That's Y-O-U-R-I-T dot com. You deserve better IT.